0: News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night as we continue breaking with Brett Jensen. And we're going up until 8 o'clock tonight. So now we're going to be joined by Catherine Truett. She is the state superintendent. Yes, that superintendent in charge of education and stuff like that. Overseas education in North Carolina. There are some things that she can do. There are some things that she can't do. A lot of the local districts have control over what they do and how they do it. And there's almost very little that they can do up in Raleigh about it. You guys know I shoot you straight all the time and provide you all the best information that I possibly can. And most of the time, it's more information than you will get in other news outlets here in the Charlotte area. And so I wanted to let you know, as a journalist, it's not an endorsement by any stretch of the imagination. You guys know better than that. But I wanted to let you know, there are a lot of things being said about Catherine Truett that are simply not true or highly exaggerated or completely taken out of context. That's just a fact. And to be perfectly honest with you, some supporters of Catherine Truett's opponent could very well end up getting sued. Like some of these things and some of these claims are so outrageous and outrageously false and just flat out lies that claims like these made against Catherine Truett and some of the people that have endorsed her, these are usually the type of things that lead to lawsuits. It's my duty to let you know about them. Even if this wasn't Republican, on republican and it was Republican doing it to a Democrat— I would tell you all about this because you need to know the truth as you go into the polls. So I thought I would have Catherine Chuad on, the North Carolina superintendent, to talk about what is true, what's not true, and also get into some of the things like how far back were schools set when COVID hit. Is CRT still prevalent in the school systems in North Carolina? And a lot of various topics. So first of all, Catherine, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. And second of all, what has your opponent in the Republican primary said about you that is blatantly and categorically not true?
1: Well, that's a great question. And I would say there's two categories of misinformation. There are claims that my opponent is making about her platform and what she wants to do if elected. And then there are claims about me that are um, just outright lies. So let's start with the, the claims about the role. So... The state superintendent is a position that was created by our North Carolina Constitution. And this position is elected and it is the uh, person who leads the Department of Public Instruction, which is the administrative agency of the State Board of Education. This position does not have any authority over local superintendents who are hired and fired by locally elected boards of education. So while I may be able to um, work with the legislature to get legislation passed um, and, and maybe have some impact at the local level through relationships with superintendents, I don't have any authority over local boards of education, personnel, safety policies, any, anything like that. And what's really important for your listeners to know is that the state superintendent doesn't have any Authority over local curriculum decisions. So while academic standards are created at the state level and voted on by the State Board of Education Curriculum decisions are always made at the local level. The other thing that I've been hearing quite a bit about is um, That I am allowing registered sex offenders to keep their teaching licenses and this is just an outright lie I actually worked with the General Assembly last session to pass legislation called the Protect Our Students Act, which strengthens penalties for those who commit these heinous crimes of sexual misconduct at school. Um, and, And also we're going to be requiring a video for middle and high school students to watch the first week of school that will teach them about grooming practices of adults. Because I am seeing too many instances of middle and high school teachers who are using texting to groom students into uh, starting sexual relationships with them. And this is so concerning to me that we got this written into legislation to to attempt
0: to fix this, this problem. I'm talking to North Carolina State Superintendent Catherine Truitt, who is in the Republican primary and has a challenger. It's been a rather contentious challenge, to say the least. So, Catherine, I'm curious, ask a lot of political candidates this question, because when you're running in the same party, a lot of times there are the same beliefs, but, you know, there are differences as well. So I want to ask you, what, if any, are the differences between you and your opponent?
1: Well, we are really night and day, actually. So um, I have been a lifelong educator. I started my career as a high school English teacher, which I did for 10 years. And then I spent three years as a turnaround coach, which is um, uh, a master teacher who goes into low-performing public schools and helps them turn things around. And then I spent time as a governor's education advisor. I was Governor Pat McCrory's senior education advisor. So that was really my first uh, foray into the policy space. And then I spent some time working in higher education. So I have worked in education for almost 30 years now. My opponent is a nurse who has homeschooled her five children and has never participated in the public school system of North Carolina. And what that says to me is a couple of things, Brett. First of all, um, the Department of Public Instruction has a $12 billion budget and a staff of 1,300 people. If a person does not have executive experience, um, regardless of what their political leanings are, you have to have executive experience to run an agency with a $12 billion budget. The other thing I would say is that someone who has never participated in the public school system has no business wanting to run public education in our state. There is a credibility issue at at play here that I think is important for voters to understand. Um, I I would also say that while we may feel the same about the uh, damaging effects of wokeism in our public schools and the need to ensure that wokeism plays no role in the education of our children and that we affirm every day the role of the parent in raising our students. Uh, I would say that there is, um, my opponent does not have a grasp on reality of what this role is and how it can impact the changes that she wants to see. And she was annihilated in a local Wake County, um, local board of elections, uh, school board elections and has absolutely zero chance of winning this election in the general.
0: When we return, we'll continue our conversation with Katherine Truitt, the North Carolina state superintendent who's up for re-election and is in the middle of a Republican primary. All of this as we continue our preview to the primary. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. And now let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. We're going up until 8 o'clock tonight, and I'm continuing my conversation with Catherine Truitt. She's the North Carolina superintendent. She oversees education in the state. She's in the midst of the Republican primary trying to seek re-election. And this is the first time I've had a really extensive interview with Catherine Truitt, and I thought this would be the perfect time to do it as we continue our preview to the primary, which culminates on March 5th. So Catherine, can you talk about the situation concerning COVID and the shutting down of schools and just how far back kids were set across the state? It's been really, really bad here in Mecklenburg County, more so here in Mecklenburg County than the surrounding counties because Mecklenburg County kept their classrooms closed longer than all the other counties that surround Mecklenburg County. But can you talk about how it is across the state?
1: Yeah, so school closures had a detrimental effect For all groups of students. Even our highest performing student subgroups, our Asian community, were negatively impacted academically by school closures during the pandemic. And so when I came to office, I created something called the Office of Learning Recovery. And I did this because I knew that we were going to be getting billions of dollars from the federal government very soon and that that money, 90% of that money, would flow directly to districts. And I knew that we had a lot of districts that would struggle to determine how best to spend that money to help kids recover from the pandemic. So what in addition to creating that office, we worked with SAS, which is located in Cary, a big analytics firm, um, and we created an algorithm that would, allow us to see down to the student level where the biggest gaps in learning were. Where, where were, uh, which subjects suffered the most learning loss and where do students have the most catching up to do? And we gave that data to all of our local superintendents and their chief academic officers. And we said, we can't tell you how to spend your money. But here is a list of vetted resources that we think will help your students recover from the pandemic. Now, we've seen uneven recovery across our state. So some districts are recovering faster than others. But um, we have in the aggregate, when we look statewide, we have seen two consecutive years of post-pandemic recovery, academically speaking, and not all states can say that. I think that there's definitely local context to, to consider. And, you know, I think um, local leaders in, in Charlotte should um, be able to speak to what their data say and what they're doing, um, how they spent that money. Um, it was hundreds of millions of dollars that, that was given to Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. Um, and, but, but from my point of view, as a state, we have seen academic recovery and and i will add that the third grade end of grade reading scores is actually the subject that we've seen come up above pre-pandemic levels it's the only one so far that is a, that has risen above where we started before the pandemic and that is because of the investment we made in in k through five teachers in a return to phonics instruction in the early grades. And so we know that one of the reasons why 67% of eighth graders in North Carolina start high school every year not reading proficiently before the pandemic is because, as a country, we moved away from phonics in the 80s and 90s. And I worked with the legislature four months after coming into office to get a bill passed that invested $70 million of that pandemic money into professional development for teachers that would allow them to use a phonics-based approach to teaching kids to read. And it has paid off in spades. In fact, our kindergarten through third graders' test scores are higher than the rest of the nation.
0: I'm talking with North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Trout who is up for re-election. You've already talked about how you worked with the General Assembly to try and get stiffer laws and punishment for school staff members that do inappropriate things with children. What are some of the other things that you've worked on with the General Assembly?
1: Well, I think I mentioned one already the, the you know, asking our teachers to participate in an 18-month professional development in the science of reading or, or phonics coming out of the pandemic was a really heavy lift. Asking them to do that was asking a lot of them, but they're really... There really was not a moment to waste um, when it it comes to writing this ship about reading when too many kids are starting high school not reading proficiently. Another thing that we worked on with them is the Parents Full of Rights, of course, and that was something that um, I fully supported. I, I believe with every fiber of my being that no one cares more about a child than that child's parents. And it is not the state's responsibility to raise children. And so what that legislation did was take all of the laws that impact students and their families having to do with public schools and put them in one place. And then it also created some, some other laws that the Department of Public Instruction um, is, is responsible for providing guidance to districts on. But most of that legislation is, um, must be implemented at the local level. But that legislation also really, I think, was a, a lightning rod because um, people said, well, you know, the, the, the these laws existed already. Well, you know, the, maybe some of them did, but not all of them did. And let's make things more transparent and easier for parents. I also testified um, for Senator Sawyer's Fairness and Women's Sports Act. I am a firm believer as a, a, a mother of female athletes um, it, who are in college um, that it is not okay for biological males to compete with girls. I, I've looked at the research. Uh, I've looked at the, the data for even four years after taking hormonal treatments. Um, males still have a 10% advantage over women in, 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 comp- in physical competition. And it is absolutely common sense that boys should not be competing in girls sports. Uh, Another thing that we did was we, um, every year in North Carolina, we leave 50,000 jobs in IT on the table because of lack of qualified workers. And so I worked with the legislature to get a law passed that will make computer science a graduation requirement. Um, I think this is very forward thinking of North Carolina. We're not the first state to do this, but it's certainly something that um, we needed to do in order to remain competitive and ensure that our students have every opportunity possible for uh, to be either in, employed, enlisted, or enrolled when they graduate from high school. Um, another thing that we passed was the um, a requirement that all students will have a career development plan while they're in middle school that will follow them to high school. And the reason that we did this is because our data show that 30% of kids in North Carolina graduate from high school every year and get any kind of certificate or degree of workforce value by the time they're 24 years old. So in other words, 30% of kids are getting either a two-year degree, a four-year degree, or maybe a truck driver's license or uh, a coding certificate, something that will get them a job by the time they are 24 years old. And that is such a low number. Only 23% of kids will get a four-year degree by the time they're 24 years old. And so we, we worked really hard to think about, well, how could we, how could we enable kids to better understand what their pathways are if they don't want to go to college and and this is all wrapped up in something i feel very passionately about brett and that is that we have to stop telling kids and their parents that the only pathway to the middle class is a four-year college degree college degrees are great and if you get a college degree in a certain field then you will absolutely make more money than someone who doesn't have a college degree but that's not what a lot of our students are doing. They're going and getting degrees in fields that, that don't lead to a job um, or certainly a, a job that that allows them to buy a house and support a family. And so we need to make sure that students and their families understand all of the options available. And part of this legislation that requires kids in middle school to start this career development plan will require schools to provide opportunities for kids to learn about all kinds of careers. There's, there are amazing software companies that, that do this, that um, allow for students, let's say they have an interest in um, food and nutrition. Well, they they can explore the hundreds of careers that, uh, you know, careers that are. Uh, a kid may, ne- may never, or an adult even, may never have even heard of, and then they can learn what they need to do, what kind of education they need to get, how much that education will cost in order to, to do that job. Again, it's all about making sure that all kids are employed, enlisted, or enrolled when they graduate from high school.
0: When we return, we'll conclude our interview with North Carolina Superintendent, Catherine Truett. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here on this final segment of Breaking with Brett Jensen on a Friday night. 704-570-1110. As always is the telephone number. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. So I'm wrapping up my interview with North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt, who's running for re-election. She does have a challenger in the Republican primary And this is all part of our preview to the primary. So I'm curious, when you first took over, there was a lot of talk about CRT, especially after the George Floyd riots. But you don't hear a lot about CRT much anymore in the classrooms. Is it gone or what's the deal with CRT in North Carolina? Well, I
1: think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what CRT is. I I think a better term to use would be woke. I, I think that the wokeism that we're seeing in our schools and some of the um, values and policies that are being forced onto teachers and principals from local boards of education is really what parents are reacting to. And also I would say that there are teachers out there who do impose their personal views on their students. Um, I think sometimes it's done unwittingly and other times it's done deliberately, but I I think that it's not most teachers. Um, But I also think that this has no place in the classroom. Students should not know what political affiliation their teachers are. And that doesn't mean that conversations can't be had. I've talked to lots of teachers who say that their goal is for their students not to know how they vote despite any conversations they may have about current events. Um, but I, I do think that you know we we've seen a lot. One of our large districts this week just vote to allocate resources to create LGBTQ libraries in schools, uh, and and to create educational or to be able to purchase education materials specific to LGBTQ causes. And I just don't think that that has any place in our public schools, especially when districts are crying for more resources.
0: And there's absolutely nothing that the state superintendent or the state school board, not that they would, can actually do anything about that, right?
1: Well, the state school board currently is made up of all of Governor Cooper's appointees, except for one remaining Republican appointee. So I I wouldn't think that, that political appointees of Governor Cooper's would take up that issue. But even if they wanted to, they do not have any recourse or any authority to impact those kinds of, of local decisions.
0: Talking with North Carolina State Superintendent Catherine Trout, who's up for reelection. So, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to discuss? And if we did cover everything, then is there anything that you'd like to say in these closing moments?
1: Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, I am so proud of the work that my administration and I have done in the past three years. We have been laser focused. On first of all reopening schools um, after all of the mandates that came down from the governor's office. We've been laser focused on getting kids recovered from this pandemic and I am thrilled to say that statewide we are seeing academic recovery happen. We also have worked to change the narrative about all kids needing to go to college so that we can make sure that kids are employed, enlisted, enrolled when they graduate from high school. This is essential if we are going to grow our economy in North Carolina. And I also love that I can say that I've been able to work with the legislature to get real meaningful legislation passed that is going to impact the lives of children and their families. And I am so proud to say that the team that I have built is so much bigger than one person, bigger than me. It is about doing what's right for kids, doing what's right for their parents, and making sure that our educators and their leaders have what they need in order to meet the needs of all kids.
0: North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. Thank you, Brett. It's been a pleasure. So there you have it. As we continue our preview to the primary, and that was North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt I really do appreciate her taking a lot of time to spend with me tonight. She is, after all, still trying to do her job and in the middle of a campaign. So she's an extremely busy woman, and I do appreciate it. So that's going to do it for us tonight. So if you miss any part of the interviews with North Carolina Treasurer and gubernatorial candidate Dell Falwell or North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truett, go to WBT.com to check them out in their entirety. Have a great weekend, everyone. We're going to continue this again next week as we continue our preview to the primary. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.